The following message is brought to you by MacArthur Boulevard Baptist Church. We are many stories made one family by one gospel. If you would like to connect with us, please check out our website at MacArthurBoulevard.org. You know, Satan hates forgiveness. Um, in fact, Satan loathes, absolutely loathes forgiveness. Forgiveness was the, the very mechanism that led to his defeat. You remember Colossians chapter 2 said that, that Christ took the certificate of debt that was against us because of our sin. He took that certificate and he nailed it to the cross, extending forgiveness toward us. And it says that when he did this, it disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to public disgrace. It was this this great act of forgiveness that actually defeated and disgraced our enemy. When we started this series, we started on, on spiritual warfare. We started, if you'll remember, in Revelation chapter 12, we saw this vision of Satan in the presence of God, the great accuser, making accusation after accusation against the saints of God. And we, we saw that every single day Satan lobs up accusations against God's people and every single day because of our mediator Jesus Christ every one of those accusations fail because of forgiveness because of the cross of Jesus Christ, I used to always lose every argument I ever got into with my older sister. I've never won an argument with my older sister. She always outwitted me or was more articulate. She could just win any argument. It used to drive me crazy. I get so mad that I could not win an argument with, with my sister. Satan has never won a single argument with God about our guilt. He loses every time. You know why? Because of forgiveness. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. He hates forgiveness. He hates mercy. He hates grace. He hates it when God forgives us. He hates it when we extend forgiveness to others. Forgiveness offends everything that the accuser stands for. And for that reason, he wants us to allow anger to stew within our hearts. He wants us to refuse forgiveness when other people sin against us. He knows how much power we lose when we harbor anger. He knows how much joy we forfeit whenever we hold on to anger. Unforgiveness resulting in sinful anger is one of the enemy's greatest weapons. We're coming very close to the end of our series, this little topical series on spiritual warfare. In fact, next Sunday, Pastor Enoch Chan will close out the series by 
leading us in an exposition through the premier text in the New Testament on spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6, and the, the, the armor, that, the spiritual armor that we receive uh, in Christ. After that, on October 9th, we're going to start an extended series walking through the book of Revelation together, uh, chapter by chapter, uh, verse by verse. But this morning, we are looking at the third way in which we yield ground to the enemy as the people of God. We've already looked at the issue of pride. We've looked at the issue of sexual sin. And this morning, we're going to look at the issue of anger and unforgiveness. And we're going to do that from the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And so if you have your Bibles, you can take them out if you haven't already and open them and find the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 26. We're going to look all the way through chapter 5 verse 2. Ephesians 4, 26 through 5, 2. Let me just put this in context if I, if I could. The last half of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is teaching Christians how they can live out their new life in Christ. So he says in verse 22 that they are to take off the old man, their old self, their old way of life. Verse 24, he says they are to put on the new man, the new self, this new life that they have in Christ. And then verse 25 begins with that all-important word, therefore, right? In light of the call to take off the old and to put on the new, Paul then, beginning in verse 25, gives a series of commands of what this looks like specifically in the context of our personal relationships. The commands of 26 uh, or 25 all the way through chapter 5 verse 2 is a list of commands focusing on our relationships with other people. I want us to focus specifically on the commands related to anger and forgiveness. And so if you would pick up with me there in verse 26. Paul says, be angry... And do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So Paul, what I appreciate about Paul in this verse, is he recognizes that we are going to at times become angry. It's going to happen. And when anger rises up within us, we have to, he says, be careful not to allow that anger to devolve into a source of sin within our hearts. Now, anger becomes sinful when that anger keeps us from obeying the law of love. Some of the qualities of that law of love he lists out for us down in verse 32. Drop your eyes down to 32. Things like kindness and compassion and forgiving one another. Okay, so when, when, when anger has taken control of my heart, so that I can no longer love you. I cannot speak or treat you with kindness. I no longer feel compassion towards you. I'm unable to forgive you. It is at that point that that anger has become a source of sin in my life. Now, one way that we guard against allowing anger to become sinful is by not harboring it, but instead addressing it. Which is why Paul says in verse 26, not to let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, don't let anger fester in your heart because, verse 27, this gives the devil an opportunity. 
Let me read verse 27. He says, don't give the devil an opportunity. We talked earlier in the series how it's possible even for genuine Christians to, to give the devil a foothold in our lives by harboring sin. And we see here that the primary sin that Paul has in mind when he, when he talks about this is the sin of, of anger, of unforgiveness. When somebody does something that offends us or or says something that offends us, producing, provoking anger in our spirits, we then at that point have a decision to make. What am I going to do with this anger? Will I extend forgiveness and release the anger? Or will I deny forgiveness and hold the anger. And Paul says that when we choose the latter, denying forgiveness, holding the anger, no matter how big or small the offense is, we are opening ourselves up for the enemy to bring bondage into our lives. And guys, let me tell you, I, I fear that there there are many Christians who may boast about the fact that they are not in bondage to any type of sexual sin, but who have lived their lives maybe for years in bondage to anger. I fear that there are homes, extended families, marriages, children, even entire churches that have given up so much ground to the enemy because of anger and resentment and unforgiveness. They're being held in, in bondage. They are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. They watch relationships disintegrate because they will not address the deep-seated Anger that they are harboring in their hearts in a godly way. Did you know that Paul actually says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, that one reason that we forgive people is so that we will not be, and this is Paul's exact words, outwitted by Satan. <laughs> like one of Satan's schemes is unforgiveness. Guys, listen, Satan wants you to hold the grudge. He wants you to keep dwelling on it and mulling it over and being consumed by it. He wants you to believe that vengeance is yours. You've got to take responsibility for that. He wants you to focus so much more on the sins committed against you and so much less on the grace that you have received from God. This is what the enemy wants. Why? Because the enemy knows that anger produces division. If you know anything about Ephesians, you know that Ephesians chapter 4 is a chapter on unity. Verse 3 of Ephesians 4 calls us to make every effort to preserve the unity of the bond of peace and the spirit of, of, of God. It's our unity that brings glory to the Christ in whom we have been unified, in whom we have been made one. Satan wants to destroy that unity because he wants to diminish the Messiah's glory. And so he leads us to hold on to anger, to hold on to that resentment, 
because he knows anger will produce division. He also knows that anger, listen, will rob us of joy. Guys, we know from 1 Peter chapter 1, heck, we know from just Christian life that it is possible to at the same time hold both joy and sorrow. Joy and sorrow can coexist in the Christian life. Oftentimes they do. This is a part of living in a fallen world, this land that is not our home. Joy and sorrow can coexist. Joy and bitterness cannot. Joy and bitterness cannot coexist. This is so important because our joy shines a spotlight on how good Jesus is. And so every time we choose to pick up anger and hold it, we are at the same time choosing to lay down joy. Guys, this is exactly what the enemy wants. Anger is the product of unforgiveness. We refuse to forgive people. You think about it. We refuse to forgive people because out of anger, we want them to be held in bondage to the debt of sin committed against us. The sad irony is that we are actually the ones in bondage by our unforgiveness. As one author put it, unforgiveness is the poison we drink hoping others will die. It's toxic. Unforgiveness, anger, resentment, it's toxic to your soul. So if we're gonna, if we're gonna release anger, guys, we've gotta learn a little bit about what it means to forgive, okay? And so let's consider for just a little bit here biblical forgiveness, what it is and what it is not. And I want us to go back to the text, and I want you to pick up with me in verse 32 of Ephesians 4. He says, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. So in other words, Paul is saying that, that God is the model that we're supposed to imitate in how we forgive other people. We forgive others according to the same manner in which God forgave us. So, with that in mind, what can we say about biblical forgiveness? Well, let's start with what forgiveness is not. Biblical forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. Guys, forgiveness is an act of the will. It involves a series of decisions. God's forgiveness of us was not just a feeling that he had toward us. It was a choice he made not to count our sins against us. 
Forgiveness is not a feeling. Neither is forgiveness forgetting. Forgive and forget is not in the Bible. Guys, listen, forgetting is a passive process whereby a matter slowly fades from our memory. Forgiving is an active process that involves a conscious choice. Okay, when the prophet Isaiah says of God that he will remember our sin no more, he does not mean that God forgets what we did. Guys, if, if God forgets anything at any point, he ceases to be God. <laughs> what the prophet Isaiah means is that God chooses not to dwell upon or recount our sins against him. Okay, forgiveness is not forgetting. Number three, forgiveness is not excusing sin. Excusing says, that's okay. It implies that what the person did wasn't really wrong. Guys, forgiveness is the opposite of excusing. The very fact that forgiveness is needed implies that a sin was committed. Something happened that was not okay. I think I've shared before that I used to teach my kids, I trained them to respond to an apology by saying, it's okay, I forgive you. And then I I got convicted on this point. Because it's not okay. (laughs) You don't need to say it's okay. You just need to say, I forgive you. The fact that I'm forgiving you means that what you did to me actually was not okay. But because it was not okay, I forgive you. God didn't just excuse our sin. He forgave our sin. Forgiveness is not excusing sin. And finally, forgiveness does not remove all the earthly consequences for our sin. Guys, when we sin, God forgives us, but that doesn't mean that God prevents us from experiencing all the earthly consequences of that sin. It's possible to genuinely forgive someone and that person still experience the consequences of their sinful actions. This is particularly important when a criminal action was committed against you. We can and we should forgive the offender, but that does not imply that the offender shouldn't face the legal consequences of their criminal action. Okay, so this is what forgiveness is not. What can we say positively about what forgiveness is? All right? You can write this down. Forgiveness is a decision to release someone of the debt owed due to sin. Forgiveness is a decision to release someone from the debt owed due to sin. Guys, listen, sin creates a debt that must be paid. Now, we know that most of that debt is owed to God. Someone sins against me, most of that debt is owed to God. We also know that God, in his great mercy, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, paying the debt for all who would trust and follow him. But if someone did sin against you, then part of their debt is also owed to you, which means you have a choice to make. You can either take payments on the debt 
This is the mindset that says, you will pay for what you did to me. And, and guys, that taking payments like that can take a lot of different forms. It can take the form of distancing, the silent treatment, right? Distancing yourself from them, being cold and aloof toward them. You're gonna pay. It can take the form of gossip. It can take the form of lashing out, seeking revenge. You're gonna pay. I'm gonna take payments on that debt. Or you can choose to make payments on the debt by releasing others from the penalties they deserve to pay. And guys, let me tell you, sometimes God will give you the grace to do this all at once. Other times, particularly in instances of deep hurt, the forgiveness is going to be a process, sometimes a recurring process that you have to work through over the course of time. Now, it's helpful at this point that we make a distinction between the attitude of forgiveness and the act of actually granting forgiveness, okay? What I mean is an attitude of forgiveness is unconditional. It is a commitment you make toward God to maintain a merciful attitude toward the person who sinned against you so that your heart remains in a posture that is open toward reconciliation. It's the attitude of forgiveness. The act of actually granting forgiveness does require the repentance of the offender. In other words, in order for the relationship to be restored, the offending party must come to a place of repentance. Now again, think about how God is the model of forgiveness, right? God maintained an attitude of forgiveness toward me, this inner disposition of mercy and kindness and grace. But forgiveness was not actually granted. We weren't reconciled until I repented of my sin. And I make that point to, to, to say this. Even if the relationship isn't restored, because the offender has not repented of their sin does not mean that you can't maintain an attitude of forgiveness toward them. It doesn't mean that you can't be free from the bondage of anger and resentment in your heart, okay? This, this attitude of forgiveness is unconditional. And, and, and so perhaps this morning, as we're talking through these things, perhaps this morning, you recognize that you are, to some degree or another, you're struggling with this. Like you're struggling with, with anger over something, you're struggling with resentment, you're struggling to forgive someone who has offended you in some way. Maybe for some of you, that anger has actually become a root of bitterness in your life. This maybe was something that happened to you or was said to you very recently, maybe even this last week, or perhaps you have been carrying around this hurt, this anger over something that happened to you years ago. Maybe you struggle with anger towards your parents. Maybe you struggle with anger toward 
an ex-spouse. Maybe you struggle with it towards your current spouse. Maybe it's with your children. Or maybe you're still carrying around a hurt of a church, toward a church, or toward church leaders that hurt you in the past. Maybe you're struggling with anger towards your current church in some ways. Things have been said, things have been done, it provoked anger in you, and you are, even today, you are struggling to forgive. And so you continue to hold it and to harbor that anger in your heart. Guys, what I want you to see is that anger, no matter how big or small, gives the enemy an opportunity in your life, in your home, and in our church. Holding on to anger will, over time, bring bondage into your life. Anger is like yeast, not sugar. Sugar dissolves with the passing of time. Anger just grows and expands. God has something better for you. Something better for you than than, than to live your life filled with with anger. And so I want to give you this morning just, just a few quick thoughts on how you can break the bondage of anger and bitterness in your life. How do we overcome unforgiveness? <laughs> Let me just give you a few thoughts here on how to walk in freedom in this area. Number one, identify and release the sin. Okay, identify and release the sin. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It happens to me from time to time. I get so consumed with the anger that I'm feeling, that I'm not even in my mind clear on what was the specific sin committed against me that has provoked such anger. Sometimes the sin occurred so long ago in our past that we don't realize that the anger that we carry around with us today is the result of unforgiveness over something that happened years ago. So the first way toward freedom from anger is to actually and prayerfully identify the specific sins that have offended you and that you have not yet forgiven. And guys, as you work through this process, and I would encourage you to actually work, if this is something you struggle with, work through this process, pen and paper, like work through this. And as you do that, don't merely identify the offender. Well, I'm mad at so-and-so. Identify the specific sin that was committed against you. That, that, That specificity will help you to extend forgiveness over that sin. Once you have identified the sin, go through the process of releasing the sin to God. What does that mean? It means putting into practice what Paul says in Romans 12, 19, when he says, do not avenge yourselves, instead leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. Releasing the sin means that you are releasing the burden 
of vengeance, the burden of justice. You remember that God is a God of justice. Justice will prevail. But that's God's responsibility, not your own. Guys, it's, it's carrying around that desire to avenge ourselves that keeps us in bondage. And so we have to identify the sin that was committed against us and actually release that sin into the hands of a righteous and just God. And I would encourage you to pray your way through this process. God, this was the sin that was committed against me. God, vengeance for that sin belongs to you. It's not my responsibility. It's yours. And so I release it. I release the burden of this into your hands. Lord, you defend me. You bring about justice. You right the wrong. Identify and release. Number two, assess your own heart. Assess your own heart. Before we can see clearly to get specks out of our brother's eyes, we got to get the plank out of our own, right? Remember what we said a few weeks ago about pride, how pride magnifies the faults that we're able to see in others, but it diminishes the fault that we can see in ourselves? So, so one question to ask yourself here is, are there any wrong attitudes in my heart that need repentance? Attitudes that are, are causing me to withhold forgiveness. Attitudes that say, say this, even though you would never articulate it, it's how you feel. Attitudes that say, you know what, if they want forgiveness, they're going to have to earn it. They're going to have to prove to me that they deserve it. Or attitudes that, that say, I really want them to suffer like they made me suffer. Are there any wrong attitudes in my heart that I need to repent of? Another question to consider is whether or not you have a humbly acknowledged and owned any contributions you made to the conflict. In almost all conflicts, listen, in almost all conflicts, we have at least 10% that we have to own, right? Now remember, oftentimes our perception of the percentage is a little bit skewed, but let's just say for the sake of discussion, we've got at least 5-10% we have to own. So here's the question, have I confessed to God, have I confessed to the other person? the sin that I committed that contributed to the problem? Am I willing to seek forgiveness over my 10% even if they never own their 90%? In order to break free from anger and overcome unforgiveness, guys, we have to assess our hearts. And it's when we get our eyes off the other person or off the sin committed against us, and we begin to consider our own need for grace, our own sin, our own contribution to the problem, then releasing the anger and extending forgiveness will flow more freely. 
And again, all of these, all of these actions, identifying and releasing, assessing your own heart, it must be done in communion with God. God, you have to help me see what I need to see in my own heart in order to break free from the anger that's holding me bondage. Okay, number three, remember God's forgiveness. Remember God's forgiveness. The power to forgive others flows out of the awareness of how much God has forgiven us. Okay, as one author put it, Christians are the most forgiven people in the world. Therefore, we ought to be the most forgiving people in the world. Sometimes a struggle to forgive is the result of taking God's forgiveness for granted. In essence, we're acting like other people's sins against us are more significant than our sins against God. Guys, listen, the more self-righteous that we are, the more that we are going to struggle with forgiveness. It's by going deeper into the gospel that we find the strength we need to forgive other people. It's why Jesus taught us to pray. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. If you want to exchange your anger for his joy, then remember, reflect on God's forgiveness. And then finally, number four, trust God to work all things for good. You know, Paul says that one of the ways, we'll see this next Sunday, one of the ways that we stand strong against the schemes of the enemy is by putting on the belt of truth. You know, one of those truths that will help you stand strong against the scheme of the devil and unforgiveness and anger is God's truth that he is sovereignly and graciously working everything in your life for good, for his good purposes. You know, one of the best biblical examples of this has got to be Joseph, right? Like Joseph... One of the major reasons he was able to forgive his brothers who, you know, were out of jealousy trying to murder him was because he saw how God, despite their sin, was working all of it to take what they intended for evil, how he was working all of it for, for good. Guys, there is a peaceful and content disposition that Christians can have when we are at rest trusting the sovereign hand of God to redeem even the most broken circumstances. I can forgive because God's going to work all this for good. Harboring anger and unforgiveness in our hearts grants the enemy ground to bring bondage into our lives. We break that bondage by identifying and releasing the sin committed against us, by assessing our own hearts, by remembering God's forgiveness toward us, and by trusting God to work all things for good. Church, I'm not suggesting that this is easy. We have to draw upon God's strength for power to work through this process. And it is a process that you might have to repeat daily, at least for a season. 
But in Christ, because of the gospel, you have the power to break the bondage of bitterness. You can experience joy again. 